Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting, and thanks for joining us on Founders and Friends for another awesome podcast. Let's give a quick shout out to the Cruise Consulting accounting team. We're very fortunate. We have a ton of people at Cruise who work on the monthly books for our clients and get them all set up, due diligence ready, rocking every month, answering all the clients' questions, making all those adjustments. And there's no better moment for a founder and for us, really, when founder says, hey, I think I'm going to get a term sheet. Are my books ready for diligence? And we get to say, yes, they are. Fire away. Send them over. Give them access. That is a great feeling. It's the feeling that lets us know we've done a job very well done. And nothing is better than watching that cash hit the bank account. So if you are a venture-backed startup, you're going out to fundraise, maybe check us out. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. We love what we do. At taping here, I think we have 575 clients. Clients raise over a billion dollars this year. So we know what we're doing. And hopefully we can help you be successful in your fundraise. All right, let's get to the podcast. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Courtney McRae of Recast Capital. Welcome, Courtney. Well, thank you, Scott. Great to be here. We were just, before I turned the mics on, reminiscing about San Francisco and, uh, and your real estate investment track record. But we're here to talk about venture capital and funds of funds and a super cool nonprofit uh, organization that you run side by side with the, the fund of funds. But uh, maybe you can start off just by talking about your background and how you had the idea for Recast. Sure. So I have spent my entire career in and around the private equity industry. Uh, most relevantly, after business school at, at Kellogg Northwestern, I um, became a Kauffman Fellow and joined a growth equity fund called Weston Presidio. Um, I was Weston for seven years um, across three funds. Um, when I left, I was a general partner. And then I moved over to the limited partner side, uh, which is where I've been ever since. So um, for 10 years, I was one of three investment managing directors at a boutique venture capital fund of funds called WeatherGage. And I joined WeatherGage in the back half of WeatherGage Fund One, and then with my partners helped to deploy the rest of Fund One, and then helped again with my partners to, in, um, to raise and invest funds two, three, and four. And we also had a separate account with um, the city and county of San Francisco that paralleled, paralleled each of those vehicles. So when it came time, when I left WeatherGage, I left and I, you know, we invested with brand name venture funds that were proven and established. Uh, and then we also invested with new names pretty shortly after I had started. And certainly many of the brand name venture funds have consistently put up great performance. But at the same time, there were some brand name venture funds that the returns were getting a bit more muted as the fund sizes yeah. got larger and, you know, the general partners got wealthier. And so in our fund uh, two, we made some really tough decisions to make room for emerging managers. And those emerging managers that we made room for actually knocked the ball out of the park. I mean, not all of them, but most of them. And that so was like the time I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, last night. And that was like the time to hit the emerging because also it, it kind of coincided with like the development of the seed stage market, right? Yes. And how like seed series A kind of changed a little bit. So that was really good timing and insight on your part. It that's, was that's really fantastic. early. And, you know, when you're early to any sector, that's when you can actually generate, you know, attractive yeah. returns. And, you know, we were seeing that at that, that was the inflection. It's been a while now, but that was at that inflection point, you were seeing that companies 
that were being started were being started on a lot less capital than they were back yeah, in the day. Yeah. I mean, you didn't need a server. You didn't need uh, an office. Uh, you could two guys and a laptop. You could do a lot of work. And yeah, so and AWS changed a lot of this as well. Totally. The other thing I because I had worked at Lighthouse from 02 to 05, went to business school, came back 07. And then that 02 to 05 and even 07 range, like especially 02 to 05, it was like you still had to be a little bit of like the Harvard MBA or Stanford or no, just know someone. And because the Series A's were like a big chunk of capital and they you would just get like a Series A check with with this with a PowerPoint. And then the time that you pivoted into this into the seed stage market, investing in those funds was like when everyone could start building prototypes and you didn't have to look a certain way or act a certain way. You could just be a really smart entrepreneur and, and say, like, look what I built. Yeah. Do you want to fund me? And I think that like just changed the market forever. I, I still yeah. it, it's kind of create like I'll relay those stories back to the cruise team of like, yeah, it was like a white male world. We were fortunate at Lighthouse. We had two female founders or female partners, including the founder, Will York. But like, so we had it like we were diverse and, but it was very like white male world until until that that sea change that you talked well, about. Well, so yeah, I mean, basically, is what was happening. Also, entrepreneurs were saying, you know, I don't need a big Sand Hill Road firm. I need somebody who actually has been in the trenches and started a business before. Yes. And yes, so, yes. you know, they were looking to this next generation of folks who had actually come from operating backgrounds and had like a somewhat of an angel track record. And now, you know, fast forwarding till today, um, the emerging manager community is so much more diverse than the incumbents, even today, which is incredible. And they kind of have the same, like you said, they're operators, they built something, they have some war stories. They can also probably empathize a little yes. bit more because it used to be, I also remember this was more of an East Coast thing because we had an office in, in, in Cambridge and office in Menlo. But like the East Coast terms were like insane, like bad. There'd be like multiple liquidation preferences and, you know, they drag them to the bridge rounds were terrible. And the, like the VC community at the time in the 0205 zone, A, was probably hurting from the dot com thing. So they yeah. were licking their wounds, but also was like not very founder friendly. And, and I think you're talking about these these folks who started funds after successful exits or successful building companies, they were, they're kind of like, they were a little nicer, frankly, to the founders. Yeah, they were, but also times change. Like it, it has been a very entrepreneur friendly yeah. decade. You know, we maybe are kind of starting to see that changing uh, with, you know, ratchets and various, various other uh, structures that are being put in to protect investors. But I do, I'll do like kind of tutorials or almost like a teaching webinar for some of the incubators. And I did one on Wednesday, I think, and I was, I was kind of explaining uncapped notes and I was like, don't ask for these right now. Yes. Do not ask for an uncapped note. Yes. And one of the, one of the entrepreneurs on the, on the call was got kind of like not upset with me, but like really challenged. I was like, look, the times are tough right now. Don't, don't be going around asking for like, the most aggressive terms you could possibly because but, but they folks don't know that they've just lived in this like last five years of like up in the market going up every year and venture capital funds growing and capital swirling around everywhere it changed on a dime it changed on yeah. a dime and i could see i could see entrepreneurs getting whiplash especially those yeah, who have never seen a down market it's crazy and even the, i feel like well, why don't we do this why don't you explain the limited partner and also like a fund of funds and how it works. Cause I also want to focus on recap. I mean, I do want to cover some of the market right now, but I think it's helpful for everyone to understand kind of the verbiage and the, 
specific function that you fill in the market? Yes. Okay. So as I've told uh, relatives that know nothing about the business and you say, I raise capital from third parties, endowments and foundations and family offices and public pensions. And then I turn around and I invest it in venture capital funds. And they say, venture capital funds raise outsized money, outside money. And you say, oh, yes, venture capitalists, for the most part, are a very bright group of folks. They don't use their own money or they leverage <laughs> their own money. Uh, so uh, there are lots of investors in venture capital funds, as I've just listed, endowments, foundations, family offices, public pensions, high net worth individuals. And then there's this yeah, group of folks called fund of funds, which takes another layer of fees and economics, bring to the table, but you're raising capital from the same groups. But normally it's what you're doing is you're raising capital from institutions that either A, have not built out their team to be able to do that effectively. There might be risk in investing in, the na in names no one's ever heard of. It's so much easier yep. to invest in a brand name that everyone's heard of. Uh, for reputationally. And then third is there are some really large institutions that are really savvy about venture and their minimum check size is 40 million or 25 million or 50 or 100. And so if you look at the emerging manager space, which is where I'm focused today, you find that institutional smart, savvy investors understand that you can get outsized returns if you properly select which of those managers you invest in. Yeah. The problem is they can't be writing a $40 million check into a $30 million fund or a $50 million fund. That is such a great point. And I've been on the fundraising side and had like, I didn't really realize that when we were raising and I was started to get involved in it. And you, it's heartbreaking to do this like presentation to an LP, like a giant pension yes. fund. Them to be like pounding the table, so excited, and then be like, okay, can you take a $100 million check? And they can't, and you can't do it unless you're like a really big fund. So the service you're providing is is super valuable just from that perspective. Like the, for them to be able, for you to kind of be able to absorb that and then distribute it to a bunch of smaller funds. I also think the fund selection one or the manager selection one is a really amazing point too, because there's so many like really amazing up and coming managers who don't even know maybe they don't they certainly don't know who at the pension funds or endowments or foundations but they don't even really know there's like a sales cycle there right can you maybe explain that a little bit yes uh so we also have an education so we've got two parts of our business at recast we have our fund investment vehicle that invests in emerging managers and venture with a diversity lens and diversity preference and then we have an educational platform and so on the educational platform, we spend a lot of time on this yeah. exact topic. And yep. so the big public pensions and even the big foundations and endowments, they have incredibly long sales cycles, very long processes. And most of them have third-party consultants that yeah. also have to do their due diligence. So the whole process, and they're very unlikely to be in the first close. Some will, but mostly they're not. Uh, and so, so there, those, those processes are very long and very drawn out and you need to look institutional in order to get, for the most part, to be able to get access to that capital. On the flip Would side, if you're raising a $20 million fund or a $10 million fund, you can raise that all from high net worth individuals and small family offices, and you can often do it with one or two phone calls per family office. Yep. I mean, it's a very, it's a much quicker process. Than, than trying to go with the institutional investors. 
Hey, it's Scott Orn, and we're going to take a quick break from the podcast to give a shout out to the cruise tax team. Gosh, it's so nice to have an in-house tax team. I can't even tell you. Uh, we have some really amazing professionals on the team. It's over, I think it's 13 people now. And we do everything from your federal state income tax return, state franchise tax filings, R&D tax credits. Those are pretty popular these days. And guess what? They're there for you when you go through diligence. A lot of people don't know this, but you actually go through tax diligence, not just operational kind of financial diligence, but you do go through tax diligence. So it's nice to have Vanessa Cruz on the phone with your VCs and with the accounting firm they hired to diligence all your stuff and the law firm they hired to diligence all your stuff. Vanessa knows what she's doing. She's done this a million times. And, uh, and not, it's not just Vanessa. We have a really great team of tax professionals that will do those calls too. It's, it's kind of sometimes the difference between getting around closed or having it take another two weeks because something was disorganized and the tax compliance wasn't done correctly. We hear those horror stories from clients that come to us. So, hey, if you want Cruz's tax team on your side, we're here for you. Check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. Thanks. Where are you seeing like recast playing? Is it the... Is it the first fund? Like I'll just kind of say like the first $5 million fund or something like that. Cause what I've also seen some, from some of my friends who you may have been invested in, cause some of them are, are folks with a diversity tilt, they'll do 5 million and then the market has been pretty hot. So they're able to get to like 10 or 15 for the second fund and then 20, 30. So I'm seeing like some of these seed funds really kind of stair step into, is that, are you, are you in the first one, the $5 million fund? Or are you in the following ones? Like, Where's recast playing? So we do need to have some evidence that you're a good picker. You've got good investment judgment. It does not have to be a yep. realized track record, but there needs to be something we can sink our teeth into. We usually see that that $5 million fund is kind of a proof of concept fund and they don't, yep. they don't really have a, a proven track record. So we would almost call We don't even call that a first institutional fund. If it's like friends and family and you know, $3 <laughs> yeah. million dollars just to prove it out. Uh, we would more likely come into the next fund. For portfolio construction, most of our funds are sub $80 million. Um, okay, yeah, uh, but yeah. we do reserve up to 15% of our vehicle to invest in funds that are solo GP raising sub $30 million. Um, and there we it's sort of a fund within a fund strategy for us. And so there we've invested in one fund that was 17 million. Uh, so, you know, certainly see a lot of interesting things happening in that space. It'll be interesting to see what percentage of those individuals that have raised a $20 million fund in this market can then go on to raise a $50 million yeah, fund. Yeah. It might actually be, you know, get get the wheels going, get it going, and maybe it's same again. It's the flat as the new up kind of thing, yes. but not that's a term that people use for startup valuations, but it might be the same thing for seed stage or series A stage fund sizes too. Like, hey, if you're breaking even, that's your next fund is the same size you did you did well basically that's pretty good and there but there are some folks that are emerging managers that are you know have put up exceptional numbers and you know we'll see yeah. if you know some of those don't get monetized and actually realized um, but if some of them do you know then they'll be able to raise i would think maybe more capital to the extent there's more capital in the market one of the issues right now is uh, anybody who is a venture fund invest investor and also in the public markets, they've seen their whole portfolio go down, way down. Yeah. It's the numerator denominator problem. Do you mind explaining that for, for folks too, how that works? So one of the things that, you know, especially large public pensions, but also some, you know, more institutional uh, foundations and endowments, 
you know, they think of their uh, public allocation of being a certain percentage of their whole uh, portfolio. And, and more interestingly, they'll think of their private portfolio. Let's say that they've decided that they want to have their private portfolio be 25%. And then they say they want their venture part of that, you know, of their whole portfolio to be 8%. Uh, now is what happens is if venture gets 8% of the entire pie and your, your public stock value goes down and your bonds go down, then you end up with what you thought was an 8% exposure to venture. And because venture takes longer to decrease their valuations, instead of being 8%, now you could be up at 12% or 15%. And they go, I cannot add any more venture exposure because I'm already massively overweight. I mean, and there's some education, you know, because certainly the venture valuations could come down. The other argument you can make is to the extent you have a mature venture portfolio, one could argue that the public stocks that are in your private venture portfolio and the billion dollar plus valuations that are in your your venture capital portfolio really are look a little bit more like your public stock portfolio. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, you could start thinking about that in a different way. And that's the argument that we, we, we give to, to emerging managers when they're trying to raise capital in this situation. Yeah. Also, like a fun, your fun commitments are usually drawn over a couple years. That may elongate too. It might be because the lighthouse, it was like a three or four year term. Usually things got kind of compressed because the market was so hot, but like the market should bounce back or things will kind of hit equilibrium. I, um, I actually, yeah, I actually think net net, it's going to be positive for the industry. It's painful. It's really painful. But I do think that, you know, the returns from this year and next year are, I think are going to be sporty. I totally agree. It doesn't. It, Having worked in this world for a long time, it just needs it. It's like pruning trees. There's and you know, I also kind of say sometimes like it's really the late stage funds that drive a lot of the excess. Yes. But those folks know what they're doing. They're very smart. They are playing more of a momentum game and they have made so much money over the last two or three years because they've played that game very well that they kind of know their time comes every cycle and they're gonna kind of retrench a little bit. But the the underlying fundamentals with like seed series a are still like really, really good. I agree. And I'm seeing the companies get to revenue really quickly. And so I just think it's like a correction that I agree with you, a correction that needs to happen. Let's talk about the nonprofit educational aspect of recast here. Cause you know, I got to sit in these partnership meetings with Will and Rick and all the lighthouse. And I got to kind of absorb everything in their brain for many, many years. But like a lot of people don't get to do that. They're, like you said, they're building a company, they're building a startup. How does the the educational aspect of, of Recast work? So my partner and I have both been institutional, institutionally trained investors in venture funds. And because we've been at this for so long, one of the things you realize you as a, as a fund of funds, you're saying no, as any kind of investor in venture, you're saying no a lot more than you're saying yes. Yeah, and yet yeah. you want to be helpful to the ecosystem. You want to give back. And so that's why we started the educational program. So the educational program is tuition free for emerging managers in venture. Usually it's institutional folks that are going into raising their institutional fund one or they've raised their first fund, but they want to now raising their second. It's normally in that in that area. And we do it uh, cohort based twice a year on Zoom. It'll always be on Zoom because we want to make sure that we can get people from across the country, not only oh, as participants, but also as guest speakers. So we bring in our yeah, friends from the yeah. GP and the LP community to talk about hot button issues. And it's broadly around fundraising. 
And is what you find is these are not the folks that have spun out of, to your point, existing venture funds. These are folks that have, you know, they're networked with the entrepreneurs who matter. They come from a very relevant part of the ecosystem. They have some type of an angel track record, but they're doing this full time. But is what is what, you know, they, first of all, it's a lonely business, especially as a solo <laughs> GP. And so uh, one of the real value adds of this is they value the community. They value getting yeah. to know one another. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing is um, they value our candor. And so we spend a lot of time, you talked earlier about, you know, spending time talking to public pensions and they go, oh, I need to put 50 million in, is what often happens is they will, you talk to, you know, 100 LPs and you'll get 50 different directions that you're being pulled. Yes, and so, yes. you know, you need to have a smaller fund, you need to have a bigger fund, you need to do a follow-on strategy, you shouldn't do a follow-on strategy. Uh, you should have a large portfolio, you should have a small portfolio. I mean, and so is what one of the pieces of advice we give is just, you know, figure out who you are, figure yeah. out who you are. Do you want to bring on another partner or do you just want to be a solo GP forever? Do you want to raise a larger fund or do you just want to you know, rinse and repeat and do the same thing again and again because you're good at it? Um, figure out who you are and then find your people on the LP side find your people. And if somebody says, I don't like that you're a solo GP, I don't like that you are two people that have come just come together, say thank you very much and make the next phone call. It's just, and, and totally agree. One of the things that I really value in the educational for me personally is we bring in GPs, general partners who not that long ago were emerging managers. Mm. And today they're much more proven. They're reflective on what they did well and where they could have improved. And they, they share their, their experience. And so we find that that, I, I think that's incredibly valuable. There's probably like an inspirational aspect to that too, right? Like, hey, I was just like you four years ago and sitting in a room like this and learning all these things and look at me now, like things worked out for me. Because yep. you need, everyone needs role models. They have you as a role model, but also people who are doing whatever their little, like who they are, right? Like whatever their their focus is or whatever the size they want to be, things like that. Like having multiple role models is actually really valuable. No, I agree. So we've actually been at this for a while. We've had 52 funds go through the program. Wow. That's amazing. And Good for you. Yes. I mean, when you kind of look up and you go, wow, how did that happen? And we are also proud to say that 81% of those funds have had at least one member of the senior investment team that identified as female. And, 50, and 56% have had at least one member of the senior investment team that was a person of color. So very, uh, very awesome. proud of those statistics. And we are. Yeah, you're I mean, you're one of the people breaking down those barriers that I talked about, you know, from 15, 20 years ago. That's that's really fantastic. And then, you know, we like I told you before I turn on the mics, but my wife and I like to invest in startups every once in a while, too. And like I there's there is like this the education is needed for people who are just learning the business, because so much of also venture capital is a little bit of like the lingo or rec like pattern recognition or things like that. And you only kind of get that either through experience or just being around people who have done it before. So one of the big things we do is uh, we do have everybody present because uh, the event, uh, the 12 the week course ends in an LP day where they actually are presenting, you know, briefly their, what they're up to and they get feedback. And if everybody wants to follow up afterwards, that's great. Uh, but the process of pitching an LP is it's a very, dis, I mean, it's a very, it's a, it's a known thing. And so one yeah. of the things we talk through is, how that how that story arc should work and uh, the other thing we spend a lot of time on is track record if you actually have a standard track record 
that's an easy thing to explain. Most folks have a somewhat more convoluted track record. And so there's, there's still many ways to show that and illustrate it. And so we spend a lot, we do a whole session on track record and how to show it. And usually that's a, a bespoke conversation about, you know, what, that's, what is your situation? That's super cool. Well, you recast is open for business. So we, we, you know, we want, we want to be respectful for all the, uh, the rules around fundraising and things like that. But if people are listening to this and are really liking what they hear and I mean, you and I even talked before, like about your Western Presidio, you're, you're legit, you know what you're doing. You've done this. It's really amazing. You put 52 funds through the process too. I mean, that's, that's really amazing. So how, how should they get in touch if they want to learn more about the recast story? Yeah. So happy to reach out to us on our website um, or to me directly. Our website is recastcapital.com and my email is Courtney. See the old-fashioned Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y, at recastcapital.com. And, and happy to talk to anyone, uh, the emerging manager or investor that in, is interested in learning more. I love it. And you have, like, basically the experience as a direct investor. You have the is it, what, was it weather, ga weather gauge yep. where you had all these relationships. And now you and your partner are on your own. And you, I, I, the thing I think is, like, super amazing is you made that pivot to like this the, the emerging managers right on the good timing in the in the what, late 2000s early 2010s right when that market was opening up no it's it's been a great journey and having you know a partner that you love working with um and you yeah. can build what you want to build from a ground up has been so inspiring and so, I and, and I also have to say, um, you know, helping these 52 funds, uh, we also do give them executive coaching with the help of Pivotal Ventures, Melinda French Gates uh, Investment and Incubation Company. And so the feedback that we get from that community and giving it forward has really, it fills the bucket. That's super cool. You're leaving an impact way above and beyond the financial impact of your returns and things like that. I really, really respect that. Well, Courtney, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And Please check out Recast Capital. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Bye, Courtney. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise from Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Old.